0: And, we, and we've and we started at the beginning of December, and here we're coming to the close of our series, um, we started talking about Christmas in a garden. We, we explored this reality that Christmas didn't begin with a pregnant Mary. It didn't begin with the actual birth of Jesus. And we learned Christmas began back in Eden, back in the garden. And we looked then to the next week at Isaiah's prophecy, uh, to try and better understand what the incarnation was and what Christmas really was and what it did and what it was going to do and how that must inform and prescribe our worldview. We, as we looked at the prophecy, we looked at what that must do to our sights, to our, to our view, to our perception of the world. And then we turned to Mary and Zechariah and Simeon And we heard their songs to hear and understand more fully what those faithful believers, those faithful children of God, believed about the coming of the Messiah. So this week we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to look back to the beginning. And what we're going to do is zoom out and look at at an overarching view of our story of redemption. Our story of Christmas. We're going to look back to the dark before the dawn. We're going to go back to, we could say, the night before Christmas. I want this sermon to accomplish a few things in particular. First, I want to uh, pull back the curtains and help us to see Christ. I want us to see Christ. We're going to do this by looking mainly at two other characters in our story, Adam and Noah, C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So I want us to see Christ such that through the lens of Christ, through the lens of grace, we would see everything else. Whether Whether we're reading our Bibles, you know, personally just reading our Bibles, we're seeing Christ. Whether we're shopping or wrapping presents or opening presents, Um, Whether we're preparing a a meal or for a party, whether we're singing songs here, or whether we're listening to a sermon, we are looking through the lens of Christ, through the lenses of grace, and, and we're seeing everything. We're processing everything through those lenses. Second, I want to help some of you have a better idea of how you are to read your Bibles. Uh, namely, by looking for Christ and his gospel from Genesis to Revelation. So some some people don't really like to read the Old Testament, they just like the New Testament. Or Some people, just in general, don't like reading the Bible because they get bored. And I can sympathize with that. I, I used to be just like that. You get bored reading the Bible. It's something that you have to force yourself to do, maybe, um, or maybe you get confused every time you read it. What's the point of this? What's the point of that? Let's just skip to the good stuff. Let's skip to the Gospels. Let's skip to, you know, Revelation or something like that. We, and I want to help, if you're in one of those categories, I want to help us to see how we are to read our Bibles. Um, if you do get confused, if you do get bored, I think you are probably reading it wrong. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean to... Um, help you, I mean to help you, not get bored when you read your Bible um, and and the way to do that is to look for Christ when you 're reading Genesis, look for Christ when you 're reading uh, numbers, look for the gospel. Um, so I want the sermon to help maybe do that. give you some examples, and by the way if you if that is you, if that does describe you, then um, I would love to point you to some resources, some surprising resources that have helped me and my family. So if, if you would like to, just come talk to me afterwards and I'll point you to some really, really good books. Little, little books. And finally, the third thing I want this sermon to accomplish is I want to give you, I want to give us the good news this morning. Um, and probably most of you in here are Christians. Probably most of you in here have heard the gospel before. I don't know uh, what you already know. I don't know where you are on your faith journeys, but here's what I do know. No matter where you are, no matter who you are this morning, no matter what it is you are going through, you need the gospel. You need to know or be reminded of his grace in all things. You need to know or you need to be reminded of the wonderful Christmas gift and gifts that have been given from the Father in heaven. So this morning I want us to be, I just simply want us to be overwhelmed. Not by my sermon, not by that, but by God's grace, by the gospel, by his story. I want us to, I want us to uh, be overwhelmed by it. So let's pray and ask God to do this. Will you join with me and pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you overwhelm our hearts with your grace? Would you saturate our minds and all of our thoughts this morning? Would you take them captive this morning, God? And would you saturate them with your precious gospel? God, we cannot live without a revelation of you from you. So do not allow us to be satisfied with anything less. Don't allow us to be satisfied to waste our lives and our thoughts and our desires on anything else, but on your glory. No one and nothing else could ever be worth it. God, but you and your glory, like a deer panting for water, Father, make our souls long for you. We need you to do this for. We need you to do this in us for the people in our lives who are lost, who live in darkness. We need you to do this in us so that our families and our neighbors and our coworkers and our communities will see you and fear you and put their trust in you, God. Make us desperate this morning for the light of Christmas to break in to Taylor Like a flood through our lives. Do this, God, whatever it takes for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, so in the beginning, in the beginning, there was God, there was Father, Son, and Spirit. And this triune God from nothing created everything. He created everything through Christ, He spoke the world and everything in it. So I want you to just get this in your mind. God, I learned this, and and it really is an interesting, uh, interesting thought. God spoke the world, the Bible says. So God didn't say, a tree, and then all of a sudden, a tree popped up. God spoke the world. God spoke the world into existence. He spoke, and his voice is so powerful, that it was creation. It, It, Created, his voice created. And he did this through Christ. So God created the world and everything in it. He said, Light, darkness, man. God created a garden and he named it Eden. And Eden means pleasure. God created, God spoke pleasure for man, male and female. Mankind was his masterpiece and he created pleasure and put man in it. His creation was good. It was perfect. But our stay in pleasure did not last very long. You probably know the story. Eve was deceived by a serpent that was the great dragon, Satan. Eve believed Satan's lie, and she took and ate. Something like, think of a a toddler with a full plate of food grabbing the last guarded bite off of his brother's plate. Eve grabbed. Eve took and ate. And this grabbing resulted in a curse. This grabbing resulted in our fall. God gave man pleasure with every plant yielding seed for food except for one. This one tree wasn't ours to take and eat. One tree in a garden that was full of a thousand yeses. We grabbed the one no. No. Eve lusted after the one thing we were told we could not have, and Adam followed right behind her in deliberate rebellion against God, against the Creator. This was our, this was our fault. This was our, this was our demise, our curse. We took and we ate. And God said, on the day that man did this, we would surely die. We were cursed, but in some strange and mysterious way, our curse was also a blessing. God, God was saying, you, you have fallen, you are in sin, you belong to Satan, the dragon, but there's an out, you will die. It won't always be this way. It was a curse and yet in some shadowy way, there was a blessing here. God was letting us know that though we were cursed, though we were sinful, though our hearts had been turned to stone, now we were enslaved by our dragon master. It wasn't always going to be this way. God told Satan, then in the garden, that there was a dragon slaying seed that was coming. God reminded man that he was dust. He reminded man, you are dust. And he said, to dust you shall return. And this was a curse, and yet... And yet, we got to remember that this was coming from the God who already showed us what he could do with dust. He was reassuring us. It was a proclamation of a curse on his own prized creation. And yet we can hear the whispers of a coming and final recreation. Whispers of a second and ultimate dust man. So Adam and Eve's taking and eating led to hatred and violence. It led to perversion and injustice such that God destroyed the world with a flood save one righteous man and his family. God God destroyed the entire world with a flood except for one man and his family. Eight lumps of dust. And eight lumps of dust were perfect. All the potter needed This mess wasn't a surprise to God. This mess was a sign from God. More whispers of a new Genesis and more shadows of a new creation. Noah's flood was another beginning. Noah was the resistance. Noah was the new line. He was saved in an ark from the enraged waters. God made a covenant with Noah that he would never again destroy the earth. And the sign of this covenant was a rainbow. A merciful and terrible bow. A bow in the sky aimed not to earth, not to us. God set that battle bow's sight on himself. God was promising to never again destroy the earth not because Noah and his family were going to get it right. Noah and his family were still grabbers and takers. They were, they were not going to get it right. They, they couldn't get it right. And yet God, God gives Noah a promise with a, a rainbow, a bow in the sky, pointed not to Noah, not to earth. With that heavenward bow bent, God was promising that when the time came, he would release an arrow of wrath and justice. Rightly do, mankind pulled tight with the bands of love and grace into the heart of another Noah and a better and final Adam. God promised, that, God promised Noah that he would never again cut off all flesh by a flood But that Noah and that flood silently spoke of another Noah and another flood. The true Noah would save his family, but it wouldn't be eight lumps of dust. It wouldn't be eight people in an ark. The true Noah would save his family of countless multitudes. From every tribe and tongue and nation, from all peoples. But he would not save us from just a watery grave. He would not save us from a watery grave. He would save us from the dragon. He would save us from Satan, from sin, and from death himself. Another global flood would come. The flood that Isaiah saw. We looked at a little bit just two weeks ago. The flood of the knowledge of the glory of God that would cover the earth like water is wet. And this is what was written, Isaiah 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah saw a flood of the knowledge of the glory of God that would cover the earth like waters cover the sea. Now think about that. The waters cover the sea. You have no sea without water. Like the waters cover the sea would be the flood covered the, covering the earth of the knowledge of the glory of God. God was promising that when the countdown was over, he would release an arrow of wrath and justice. This arrow, this bow was pulled tight. Not just from, not from an angry God. Not from a God who just wanted to um, get back at people for, for, uh, for ignoring him or disobeying him. This arrow, this bow was pulled tight with love and mercy. He had aimed it upward to himself, grace and truth. And that that arrow of justice, that arrow that is holiness and righteousness, that is the wrath of God for sinners, for rebels, for hard hearts, would not pierce us. It would pierce the true Noah. It would pierce the true Adam. Adam. The Adam who would not lose his bride to the dragon. So think about the garden. Think about Adam and Eve in pleasure, in Eden. They come to the tree. Eve listens to the dragon and she begins to believe the lie and she takes the fruit and she eats the fruit and she gives it to Adam. And what does Adam do? For whatever the reasons, for whatever the reasons you want to believe, Adam takes it and eats it. But this this next Adam, the true Adam, would not lose his bride to the dragon at the tree. The next Adam at the tree would save his bride from the dragon. An Adam was coming who would not fail, who had another tree. Now think about this who had another tree would take again what did not belong to him. But this time, this Adam would take not from God he would take from us what did not belong to him. And from God, he would give to us. Adam and Eve in a garden full of yeses took the one no, the true Adam at the tree. He took, but he did not take from God. He took from us what did not belong to him. He took our sin and our shame. And from God, he gave to us righteousness. This time, he would be taking from us and from God, he would be giving. He would be giving freely to the grabbers, to the spoiled and ungrateful, to the thieves and to the liars, to the guilty. He would give freely to the poor and the naked and the ashamed. He would give to us. God sent this new Adam and this better Noah from heaven to wear a belly button, I don't know if you believe Adam in the beginning had a belly button, but really it doesn't matter. The point is, Jesus had a belly button. Jesus had a belly button. The God-man was born. He Now, now <laughs> bear with me for a moment, okay? I have a point in why I'm bringing these things up. I want us to see something that perhaps we have not really connected in our minds. Perhaps, maybe. God sent this new Adam, this new Noah. He sent the Messiah to be born, to eat, to eat, to pee, and to poop. I mean, we just have Gideon, so this makes it really easy. It's made it really easy for me to write this stuff out because here I'm in the middle. We're in the heat of this moment. Seeing Gideon be born, seeing what that, you know, again, I mean, this wasn't my first rodeo, but seeing again what it was like. And here he's at home and seeing what he does. He eats and he pees and he poops and he sleeps and he cries. That's it. That's all all we got so far. And Jesus was born. Jesus peed and pooped. Jesus nursed at his mother's breast. Is that crazy or not? Okay, let me p- kick it up a notch. Jesus passed gas. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that to just be crass or any, I'm not saying that to um, gross anybody out, but I'm, I'm saying, G- on average, the a- average person passes about half a liter of gas a day. What I'm, I'm saying is everybody does it. It's not, we, everybody does it. Mankind, this is what we do. Jesus became a man. Does that seem irreverent when when I say Jesus farted? It seems irreverent. It seems irreverent to me. It, It does. It rubs me wrong like I should not say that. But this is my point. This is the point. Christmas seems or should seem irreverent to us. It should seem like blasphemy to us. God became a man. God became a man. One author pointed out that if this wasn't true, it would be blasphemy. If this wasn't true, it would be blasphemy. That uncomfortable feeling we feel when we say something like Jesus passed gas. This, This is the irreverence of what the incarnation was. God, holy Christ in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father, put on flesh... And became a man. Now I don't want you to get mad at me for saying that, you know, Jesus passed the gas. I don't want you I I want you to see the point that that Christmas is irreverent. It is irreverent. But it's true. And God's God is the one who did it. So we can't really get around the irreverence of the Incarnation. We can't really get around the seeming blasphemy of God becoming a man. So please don't get mad at me. This is, this is something that is so terrifying and tragic and yet so very reassuring. God became one of us. The Father, that the Father would send the Son to become the final dust man. The final dust man. What I mean is Jesus was born. He was a man. He was a person. He ate and he drank. He depended on his mom to wash his clothes when he was a kid. He depended on his parents to prepare his meals when he was a child. God depended. That just seems irreverent, doesn't it? This is terrifying. This, that, that Jesus, that a man was born to die. God was born to die. Born to bear the sins of his people. And, and listen, here's the point. Here's what I needed to deal with. The, the fact that the Jesus passed gas rubs me wrong. Does it rub me more? Does it offend me more that, that when I think about Jesus farting? Does it offend me more than when I think about Jesus bearing my sin on the cross? Because we seem to talk about that every week. And the point is, what he came to do is insane. It is unbelievable. We cannot man cannot conceive this. Think. This may help you, but it won't even come close. Think of an ant hill. You're mowing your yard and you see an ant hill, and you look down at the ant hill and you and you say, I'll I will come into their world. I will become one of them to live as an ant, forever to save the ants. And what do you do if you're going to stick your hand in that ant pile? What's going to happen to you? Ouch. It's not going to go good for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, they hate me. They want to bite me. They're going to scorn me. They're going to spit on me. If I stick my hand down there, they're going to bite it. What did he do? He came. He became one of us. He became, okay, you, thinking about you becoming an ant is insane, right? It, that's just, you know, that's stupid, right? You're, that's the dumb thought. Infinitely greater. We're talking about something infinitely more insane. God becoming one of us. if if we're more offended on the you know that he pooped and peed and farted and d- nursed at his mother's breast if we're more offended that he was born than than the fact that he died and took our sin on himself then we're missing something we're missing something very important and that would be grace we're missing grace so let's look at Luke chapter 2 the christmas story Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1. Verses 1 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told them. The night before Christmas was just that. It was, it was night. It was dark. It was dark when Jesus was born. It was dark when the angel heralds gave the good news for the world to the shepherds. It was despairingly dark in the world from Adam to Noah to Abraham to David to Isaiah to Mary and Joseph to the shepherds in their field. It was dark before the light came. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, he invented a word that every Christian should know. So, uh, this word is eucatastrophe. Tolkien was a Christian and his stories are consistently reflective of that. If you haven't seen the newest Hobbit movie it's, it's just wonderful you can go and, and again through the lenses of Christ and through the lenses of grace watch your movies and it's, it'll make them so much better or you can just throw them away and say well that was a, that was a lie but The Hobbit it's a good one so toward the end of the first Hobbit movie when the enemy um, had, has Bilbo and Gandalf and the dwarf company trapped in a tree hanging over a cliff there's nowhere for them to go nothing for them to do, a eucatastrophe occurs. They are rescued by the eagles. A eucatastrophe. Another example of eucatastrophe would be when, uh, in a fairy tale, when the prince finally arrives and, and wakes the sleeping beauty with a kiss. Eucatastrophe. So eucatastrophe, according to Tolkien, is the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. It is the sudden glimpse of truth, your whole nature chained in material cause and effect, the chain of death. Feels a sudden relief, as if a major limb out of joint had suddenly snapped back into place. Your catastrophe is sudden joy. Turn in the story. So man in our fallenness desperately needed saving adam and eve remember in the beginning we fell we sinned curse was pronounced so mankind in our fallenness desperately needed saving but because this is life is no fairy tale we don't just snap our fingers and out of nowhere get to the happy ending life is no fairy tale we don't just get to snap and get to the happy ending. It's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from something. It's got to be bought. It's got to be purchased. It's got to be written. We This is the world that God made and that means we need to be redeemed according to our nature, according to the nature of God's world. God Spoke the world into existence. God created mankind. Tolkien said, Man is the storyteller. And that means we would have to be redeemed in a manner consistent with our nature by a moving story, by a story, by word, by the word. Tolkien gave us this word that perfectly describes the Incarnation. Christmas, the Incarnation is the eucatastrophe of human history. Darkness, and then eucatastrophe. Incarnation. A son is given. The baby is born. And then he goes on, he actually says that the um, resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the Incarnation. So the baby is born, that baby lives and that baby is crucified on a cross, condemned to die, dead, buried in a tomb and you catastrophe. Resurrection. The light has come. A new day has dawned. When when I hear Christians Bemoaning materialism at Christmas time. I always wonder if if they if they really even know the story. Do they really know that Christmas is about the spiritual becoming material? I know, I understand, you know, where, where our kickback is towards commercialism and things like that, where you just make a buck off of Christmas and things like that. But, but I mean, do we really, do we get the scandal that is Christmas? Do we understand the scandal of grace that the spiritual became the material? We, so, so in our bemoaning of materialism, sometimes we say things like, I'm not going to give gifts, I'm not going to do gifts this year. I, I want to find the true meaning of Christmas. Skip the gifts. Or or we say, my kids really don't need anything. They're, they're spoiled enough as it is. Or, or we have the Scrooges who, say, who, who uh, just don't want to be wasteful. They say, well, we just don't want to be wasteful, so we're going to not do this or that. Listen, if, if our children are spoiled, it's not because we've given them too much. It's because we haven't given them enough. If, if we are spoiled, it's because we haven't received enough, near enough. If we're concerned about waste, we would do well to remember how wasteful our God is on us. Think about this. He, he orchestrated the most magnificent choral performance this world has ever witnessed, ever witnessed, all before it could be captured and put on YouTube. Oh, come on, can't we at least get a tape recording? No, nothing. He did it for what? Mostly sheep. Mostly sheep. There were shepherds, but mostly sheep. Did they have to rehearse? I don't know. I'm not sure how that all works. Maybe they're just that good, but the point is it was that good and God wasted it on a handful of shepherds and mostly sheep, only to be retold. We're worried about wasting half a turkey and some wrapping paper. Our God waste think about this. Our God wastes one sunrise and one sunset on us every day. Every day. Beautiful sunrise, beautiful sunset. Every day for what? We forget them. We forget them. We may we may sit in the moment and 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 be overwhelmed by this beauty and then it disappears in a matter of minutes, and then we forget. We may take pictures and, and save them and I have this habit of doing just that and I take a picture of this ma- magnificent sunrise and I go back later and look and it just you know, I mean, it doesn't do it. It doesn't do anything for me like it did. And, I, and I, seem, I don't appreciate it when I go back and look at the picture. God, waste one sunrise and one sunset on us every day and we and we forget them and we take them for granted because we know tomorrow there's going to be there's going to be another one most people just ignore them altogether except for you know maybe special occasions you go to the oasis you ring the bell and you look at the sunrise and you you get overwhelmed by beauty but but it, by and large every day these come and we forget them we we take them for granted and yet God apparently doesn't mind because He keeps sending them. Or have you? I don't know if you've ever seen a, a close-up picture of a snowflake. They're gorgeous, and to think that every one is unique—there's no two alike. It'll blow your mind when you see a picture of a snowflake, and then and then think about. Uh, how many of them there are when, when snow starts to fall which doesn't happen that often here My wife thought I was silly for even bringing this up in texas, but i'm gonna i'm gonna risk it You know when, when it starts to snow and you think about each one of those so beautiful and so unique And they just keeps falling or maybe doesn't keep falling as much here in texas, but But we couldn't stop and admire all those if we wanted to And yet they just keep coming what do we do? We pack them into balls and we throw them around, or we shovel them out of the way and just dump them into, into throwaway heaps. And what does God do? He puts more on top. Wasteful. He's wasteful on us. We can't even appreciate it if we wanted to. We, you know, we, 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 we you go look Google close up pictures of a snowflake, and and they'll have a slideshow. Let's say they have 50 of them, okay, 50 snowflakes. Now, you put 50 snowflakes in your hand, and now you think about God has that beautiful, overwhelming, you know, slideshow that you might see, you know, if you go Google it. 50 of them? How many of them are are being dumped right now up, up in the north? How many of them are being dumped right now and just shoveled out of the way, salted, plowed, thrown around, packed into snowmen? What a waste. So some of our depth and meaning of our Christmas festivities and our gifts are lost on your people. They're lost on your, uh, your, they're lost on your children or your family. So your labors of love go largely unnoticed or mostly unappreciated by your children and your family or by your self-invited guests or by your coworkers or the strangers lurking. I mean, not lurking, lurking. <laughs> Not lurking, looking, strangers looking. If you've got strangers lurking, you might have a problem, but you know, it might go lost on them too, the lurking strangers, but the looking strangers. Uh, driving by, looking into your houses, lit up. You know, maybe you're celebrating Christmas. And they're, they're they look in, what do they, they look and they see and they pass, hopefully pass, and keep going. Then stop. Doesn't give it a second thought. And yet, how much from our Father is lost on us? And yet, he does not stop. He keeps giving. He keeps giving. He keeps giving. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to just hold off for a while and let them get appreciative of that, that they've already been given. He keeps giving. You know how I know? Because you all woke up this morning. He keeps giving. Think about that night, Mary and Joseph. They finally make it to Bethlehem, only to find there's no room for them. Not a single vacancy. Couldn't God have just saved one single room? Of course. But he obviously didn't want to. God in his infinite wisdom decided that an animal cafeteria should be the drop zone for the king of kings. An animal cafeteria would be the drop zone for the lord of the lords. The pregnant mother was ready to go and at that moment, it did not matter where they were or weren't. It was time. Contractions begin. Pain and sorrow sets in. The baby is coming. And finally, like a dawn of joy, breaking the dim shadows of anticipation, Mary looks upon her Messiah's face. And what does she see? A feeble and bloody and beautiful baby. You catastrophe. The eagles are coming. The prince is coming to wake up the princess. You catastrophe. Joy and sorrow meet. The true Noah and the new Adam has come. The God man is born, our Savior, King, our warrior, Lord, and with arms so weak they could be tamed with cloth. This mother at this moment no doubt could see the beauty, like every mother can see the beauty and the joy. It was right there in her baby's face, but I believe Mary could also see the terror and the sorrow. Probably Mary knew this wouldn't be the last time she she saw her Jesus bloody and weak, wrapped in cloth, This wouldn't be the last time that a man named Joseph would take Jesus' wrapped body and lay him to sleep. As Simeon took up the Christ child in the temple, it wouldn't be the last time that someone with that same name would bear that Christ up. Glory in the highest, born in the lowest. Christ, who fills all, in all, this night, fills a manger. A manger. What? A manger. What animals eat from. You know, like, when we had our first child, we, you know, if his passy fell on the floor, oh my gosh, get a new one, throw it away. If somebody you know, if somebody grabs it, you know, and touch it, throw it away, get a new one. Now with Gideon, I could never conceive the manger laying my child in the manger is what I'm saying. Here, this Mary is, and they have this is what they have a manger, a manger, a feed trough. They're in an animal cafeteria, and they lay the baby, the Christ, in a manger. It's what they had. And it's what God gave them. Our Christ is welcomed into this world on a plate in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So, here's how you read your Bible. Christ is born in a manger in Bethlehem. We have the bread of life, right where bread belongs, in the house of bread, on a plate. The bread of life in the house of bread, on a plate. These parents knew that Jesus' journey would be marked by sorrow and grief and torment. Joseph and Mary, being good Jews, and they were good Jews, knew what it meant when the angel told them. Remember, the angel told them about Jesus. And this is one thing the angel told Joseph. He said he would save his people from their sins. They were good Jews. They knew exactly that 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 meant blood and death. Save his people from their sins. Adam took and ate and sent every man in him The whole human race plummeting into sin and death. Captivity to the dragon. But Adam the second, Adam too, would not grab. He would not follow. He would lead. He would offer. Take me instead. Take me instead. What Adam should have cried at the tree Take me instead. Our Jesus cried, Take me instead. Willing to die to defend his bride from the dragon, he would freely offer himself the bread for the world. No prohibition, no conditions. A call, only a call. Take and eat. Take and eat. So in garden, in pleasure, a thousand yeses, one no, one prohibition. Do not touch it. When you do, you will die. And now Jesus comes and he comes to another tree and he takes what does not belong to him and he gives what isn't ours to have. He gives it to us. And he says, take and eat. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And this means that the whole Bible is about Christmas gifts. There's a, a little Charlie Brown sketch, Ch- Christmas Tales, where Lucy um, tries to convince Linus to buy her Christmas present, and he says, you know, you can't trick me. I'm an old theologian. That's not in the Bible. And she says, yes, it is. And they go on their little argument. I want to tell you, Christmas is, uh, the Bible is all about Jesus, and that means the Bible is all about Christmas, and that means the Bible is about Christmas gifts. It's about gifts. It's about the incarnation when the Son of God came in the flesh to lead the way. The whole Bible is about his work. The whole Bible is about his work. Our Father and our Big Brother going behind our backs and conspiring to give us the most amazing Christmas gift we could never have imagined. This is good news. This is good news for us. This is more than just good news. This is the good news for us. This is the gospel in Christ, in this baby, in the bread for the world. All the families of the earth, all the nations would be blessed. So God, in Genesis 12, verse 3, God preaches the gospel to Abraham and he says this. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you don't assume I'm reading too much into this, Paul gave us the inspired commentary of that glorious promise. And he says this in Galatians 3 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith, are you of faith this morning? Do you have faith this morning? If you do, I have good news for you. You are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The thread of Christ begins in the beginning. Christmas began in a garden. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter how dark or impossible your circumstance may be, I want you to remember something. Remember the eucatastrophe. Remember the catastrophe. Christ came and died and rose again he has ascended to the father he has received all authority in heaven and on earth go therefore and go rejoicing into all the world you have you have every reason to rejoice to be optimistic as we disciple our children, as we disciple our families, as we take this good news to the world, to the lost, to the hopeless, we go to them because we have the hope. We have the hope because Christ has come. We have the hope because the eucatastrophe has happened. Christ came. The resurrection is real. Real. The resurrection is real. What does that mean? That means not just that Jesus rose from the dead. It means so much more than that. That that is the token. That is the tip of the iceberg. That is the down payment. Jesus raising from the dead. You know what that means for you? That means you in him will rise again. The Son of righteousness has risen. Indeed. Malachi four two. The bright and morning star is shining, Revelation twenty-two, sixteen. I want to close by reading from the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians one. Starting we're going to start in verse eleven. And I want you to listen, I want you to listen what Paul says about our Jesus, what Paul says about his work, what Paul says he has done for us. Listen to this, starting in verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy By his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for, for you to make the word of God fully known. Listen to this. That the mystery hidden for the ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. To hear who this Christ is and what he has come for. The mystery that was concealed by the dark before Christmas, by the night before Christmas, has now been revealed in the light. It is the light. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of glory Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of your Son. Thank you that through Christ, who is supreme and preeminent, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for sending the bread of life into the world. We confess, Father, that as, your, that as a congregation, our view of Christ has been much too low. Our understanding of Christmas and of your kingdom has been at best lacking. And at worst, God, we've perverted it with our own false assumptions. God, would you make our souls thirsty to long for you God, we need you to do this for the people in our lives who are lost, who live in darkness. We need you to do this in us so that our families and our neighbors and our coworkers and our communities will see you and fear you and put their trust in you. God, make us desperate this morning for the light of Christmas to break into Taylor like a flood Through our lives, renew our minds. Reassure us, God, and establish us by Christ, who is the hope of glory. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the charge is this. Be merry because of the eucatastrophe. Be bright because the sun of righteousness has shone in your heart. Be generous. Confidently take risks for the kingdom. Confidently take risks for the kingdom. Urgently and in all of your life, tell the world the good news. Show the world Christ. Live the story of redemption. Live that genuinely. Amen? Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Go in peace.